in today's episode, I want to talk about a topic that might not be popular, but I want to talk about discernment with something that I basically consider the Protestant version of a confessional booth. So for those of y'all that don't know, I was raised Catholic, and in the Catholic Church, they have this thing called a confessional booth, which basically you go out and you, you sin on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night, and then on Sunday morning, you come into church, you do your, you know, ominous, dominus, Hail Mary prayers, all that stuff with the Catholic stuff. They sprinkle some water on you. And then at some point you get to go to this little booth. And in the booth, you know, you go in there, it's you and the priest privately, and you get to just, oh, forgive me for I have sinned. I did all this thing Monday through Saturday night. You make the confessional, the guy, you know, issues, hey, go and say X number of the Hail Mary prayers, hold this little magic necklace and pray to Jesus' mom, whatever. And then, you know, you say that however many times, drop however many dollars in the collection basket, and you're good to go. You're considered forgiven. And you get to do it all over again the next week. It doesn't actually set you free, but it's this idea of constantly coming to confess your sin before a priest because it's the idea that, hey, if I come into this, I'm going to get cleansed. I'm going to get the, the healing or the forgiveness that I need from whatever issues. Now, in the Protestant world, we have something called inner healing. And it's actually very comparable. It's not the exact same, but I want to talk about that. What is inner healing? Is this even biblical? Is this a Christian teaching or something that subtly replaces Christianity? So that's what I want to explore in today's podcast. So for those of y'all who have never experienced inner healing, I'm going to share with you a little bit about how it works, what it is, and why we need discernment here. So the first time I experienced inner healing was back when I was in the military. And the first time I had really encountered it was at something called a healing room. So they have these rooms all over the country where you go in and you could get prayer for healing needs. And supposedly some of them throughout the country may actually have the ability to pray for physical healing needs and see physical healing. Now, I'm a big believer in physical healing. I will just say I have yet to encounter a healing room that actually has physical healing. Uh, that, that was my experience anyways, although I believe they might exist somewhere for sure. But my experience with the healing room is you'd go in and I'd say, okay, man, I've got some massive, massive back pain and problems. And they would begin to pray for you. And, you know, so you, you come into this little room. You, often there's a little sheet you have to fill out. Hey, here's what's going on. Um, you know, some different things. You'd fill out a little paperwork. You hand it to them. They go in a room and they might pray over you. A lot of times the people are at least somewhat prophetic in these rooms. And so they'll, you'll come into the little room, sit in a chair, they'll lay hands on you, and they'll start praying. They might talk to you first, might ask you some questions, and they'll start praying. And then usually they come out with something like, oh, um, hey, by chance, did, did you have an offense against your mother? Did she do something when you were a kid, or your dad, or your uncle, or your aunt, or sister, or brother, whoever? But there's a lot of this idea of, okay, oh yeah, I do have, I have this past hurt. I'm still holding on to this trauma. My, my daddy beat me as a kid. My mama beat me. My sister beat me. My brother beat me as a child, whatever. So I'm holding on to this old hurt and pain. And what they often do is, depending on where you're at, there's so many different ways they can respond to this old thing that I'm holding on to or this old trauma. 
one of the ways that I've encountered was what they call theophostic ministry. It's the idea of, okay, close your eyes and envision yourself back in that circumstance where you're getting beaten by, you know, your sister or whatever. And then picture Jesus in that incident that they have you do this thing where it's like you're going back into an old memory and now you're trying to picture where Jesus was in that circumstance. And, you know, hopefully that'll somehow bring healing to your heart. That's one possibility. Another one is they might lead you in some sort of prayer of forgiveness. I'm a big believer in forgiveness. But they might lead, oh, you need to forgive this person or this other person. Okay, so all right, well, I'll forgive this guy and that guy and this girl and that girl and their aunt and their uncle and their dog and their mama and all that stuff. And you might just end up getting into a, a cycle of forgiving a whole bunch of people. Sometimes you walk in and they're doing things that aren't even Christian, but they wouldn't know it where they're over here and they're like, oh man, I, I believe that your great, great grandmother was a witch or a Mason or this or that. And so we've got to break the Mason curse or the witch curse off of your generational bloodline and all this stuff. And I'm like, that's, that's total heresy, by the way, if you hear that total heresy, but we'll get into that later. Um, but you know, so the next thing I know, I'm praying because my great, great, great grandmother might've been a witch. I don't know. I never met the lady. She was dead a hundred years before I was even born. But nevertheless, now I'm praying to hopefully find freedom from my back problems because of something that my great, great, great grandmother might've done. So that's another experience you might run into sometime in the world of inner healing. And then sometimes you get into what I call spiritualized psychology, there was uh, a couple of ministries that made this very, very popular, and they were so far from Christ it wasn't even funny, but it tickles the ears. It sounds super duper spiritual, and if you don't have good discernment because you don't know the Word of God and the Scriptures and you don't really know the ministry of Christ, it's easy to fall for this kind of stuff. And I speak from experience because I fell for this kind of stuff. This was me before I was really digging into my Bible regularly. And before I knew that Christ was the perfect revelation of God, and if Christ didn't teach it, watch out. Or at least use Christ as the filter through which we learn these things. Jesus did say he's come to heal the brokenhearted, but he didn't sit down and do what we see in the world of inner healing for the most part. But anyways, so the spiritualized psychology stuff, this is the idea of, now y'all may be familiar that sometimes there can be physical conditions that are psychosomatic is what they call them. And this means there might be a there's a mind-body connection. There's something going on in my mind that potentially is causing a physical result in my body. This is a real thing. This really happens. Uh, many people are familiar with this. But with this, sometimes you get into this legalistic, spiritualized psychology thing where let's say you come to them and you have osteoporosis, which is kind of a rotting of the bones. Well, what they do is there's a scripture in Proverbs that says envy is like rottenness to the bones. So they look at you and they say, well, because you have osteoporosis, that means that you're an envious person that has envy problems. So if you'll just sit here and repent from all of the envy, then you can get healed from God. Let me tell you how many times you see this in the ministry of Christ. Zero. That was short. We won't need to read any Bible verses on it because it doesn't exist there. But it does in some of the inner healing world. And there was actually a gentleman who had a whole ministry of this. His whole ministry was pointing a finger at you, accusing you of having this sin and that sin and the other sin and all these horrible sins. And if you would just repent for being a horrible sinner, then God would heal you. 
That was literally the core of this dude's message. Horrible, horrible, horrible message. And yet, you know what? There's at least some people that got results out of it. There was a time that I, I'm going to share a story, but there was a time that I broke out in really, really bad hives back when I was in the Marines. And so I flipped through this. He has this book, which is not, I'm not even going to mention it. It's absolutely horrible, horrible. If you know the book I'm talking about, throw it in the fireplace. Get rid of it. Cast it out. It's horrible. But it, it mentions the name of Jesus maybe possibly once in the two or 300 pages of this spiritualized Merc manual. But anyways, you'd flip through and you'd find all the things that talk about hives and, oh, fear and this problem and that problem. So I sit there and I just pray vigorously, Lord, I'm, forgive me for being fearful. I'm in fear right now. I must be in fear because his book says fear causes hives and I've got hives. So I'm just thinking it must be I'm full of fear. Well, I sat there and repented enough of fear until I believed that I had sufficiently repented and confessed for, you know, my need for forgiveness for being afraid. And after I felt like I had sufficiently repented and confessed all this, you know, the issues with fear, then I was able to step in front of the Lord and say, Lord, I'm ready to receive my healing. And I was able to receive healing at that moment. So the question we have to ask is, is that guy's ministry legitimate? Well, are we going to go based on that one time that I seem to get a result? Or are we going to look at the ministry of Christ? Whose life determines this? Eric's life or the life of Jesus Christ? Who determines the truth? It shouldn't be my life. It should be the life of Christ. Just because there may be a level of reality in which I experience something that could seem true does not make it the gospel truth. It does not make it the truth that comes through Jesus Christ. Also, in that day and age, I had a belief that I ha that was a legalism. I had a belief that I had to repent from all the things that could be blocking my healing before I could come to God and receive my healing. And yet, after sufficient understanding of the ministry of Christ, I realized that was an obstacle and a legalism. And I got to a place where I no longer had to repent of this, that, and the other. I would just step in front of God and say, Father, here I am to receive my healing. And the healing would come without having to figure out some sort of spiritualized possible route for whatever condition I may have. A lot of times what you experience in this inner healing is what I call spiritualized psychology. Also, I just really want uh, quickly want to say that doesn't mean there's no place for counseling in the Christian world. I'm not saying there's absolutely no place for counseling uh, because sometimes people need assistance of things that they can't see. That can be true. Also, counseling is a great way to reach the lost, the people that don't know Christ, to really bring them into an encounter with God who sets them free from things. But this idea of spiritualized psychology, and I actually feel it's kind of a spiritualized Freudian psychology at times. It was Freud who I believe brought quite a bit of this idea, this lens that, look, if I've got issues inside of me, that I need to revisit my childhood, all of my traumas. What did my mama do? What did my daddy do? What did my brother do? My sister do? My uncle? My aunt? My cousin? The, the kids at school? The one time at the mall? You know, whatever it might be. But it was this idea of, hey, I've got to visit. The past hurts. I've got to go into the past. I've got to hop in my time machine and travel to the past and figure out what occurred, what happened. And if I can just get healed of that old past, 
then surely I'll be a different man today. We call this navel-gazing. Navel is in the belly button. It's the idea of staring within yourself, at yourself, to constantly try to find what's wrong with me. How do I fix what's wrong with me? Once I fix what's wrong with me, then I can be transformed into the image of Christ. That's a lie. And I'm going to talk about that. But first, so this Freudian psychology, the spiritualized psychology, not Christianity, not the same thing as Christianity. But it's this lens that sometimes I've even seen this lens taught that, okay, the way I'm going to interpret God is based on my parents or my siblings. And I'm like, why? Why, why am I going to decide that God and my dad are the same people? Like, I've got more than a quarter of a brain in my head. I know they're not the same people. So does the Bible actually teach me this? Does it teach me that as I, however I relate to my dad is automatically how I'm going to relate to God? You don't find that in the teachings of Jesus. Not at all. Now, I had an awesome dad. My dad was super awesome. Love, love him. We're still friends. We hang out regularly. Love my dad. Wonderful man. But you know what? As much as I love my dad and as much as my dad loves me, I know that my dad is not God. And God is not my dad. Now, I have a God who is my father. And I know he's not the same as my dad. Different personalities. Different temperaments. God is a little bit more spiritual than my dad, you know, because he is spirit. God has an ability to love greater than my dad, not due to any fault of my dad's, but because God is an everlasting God with an everlasting agape love. He himself is the very source of love. Now, my dad can manifest that love, but God himself is the source of love. But there was a time before I spent time in the word of God, before I spent time meditating in the scriptures to learn about who God was, before I really spent one-on-one -on -one time with the Lord, that you could have convinced me and that I did believe that I, that I would see God the way that I saw my dad. And it, it was because I was walking around understanding this is what a dad looks like. And it wasn't that I needed some sort of inner healing experience to cause me to view God differently. It's because I didn't know the word of God. I didn't know God. I didn't take the time to get to know him through his word. Second Peter, verse 2 and 3. So Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of lust or sinful desire. The way that we step into the life of Christ and the promises of God after our salvation born-again experience, you need to be born again if you're not, is through the knowledge of who God is. And the best way to get to know God is through reading the Word of God, reading the Bible with the living Word of God present with you, with an ear tuned into the Holy Spirit. So this is the idea of, hey, I'm in a new family. I've been adopted into a new family. 
now I need to learn about my new family. And he has given me this wonderful book. But the book alone doesn't teach me everything because I still need to walk with him relationally. But as I grow in the knowledge of God, I learn who he is for me. It is not that I have to go back in time and undo all my old things intentionally or have an, a session of going back in time and trying to heal all the past hurts and traumas that allows me to move forward with God. But rather it's walking and learning who God is for me and walking relationally with him that actually genuinely sets me free from the past. It's a subtle misdirection. Am I looking backwards at me or backwards at the cross? Am I looking backwards at me or forwards at my life with God? So what is inner healing? What is this idea? I've got old past hurts, pains, traumas, potentially. This is not the only thing that it covers, but it's one of them. Scripture declares if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. It also declares that we were crucified with Christ. We died with him and have been resurrected. It also declares it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. And from John, he must increase and I must decrease. So what is inner healing often used for? Well, I'm going to be honest. It's because at some level, we're offended at people for their behavior. We're if we walk around offended. My daddy did this. My mama did this. My sister did this. My brother did this. My cousins, uncle, school, bully, whoever. Some human did this thing to me. And I'm offended because that goes against me. Maybe they hurt me. Maybe they beat me. Maybe they tried to murder me. Maybe they stole from me and robbed me. Whatever thing they did. It's this idea that I'm offended at them for their negative behavior. That would be the very behavior that Christ died for, as a matter of fact. And if I was actually walking as a Christian and living from the life of Christ, I would not experience that offense. Because that all, Christ is not offended. He died for it. He died for forgiveness of those very things. And so if I'm manifesting Christ and living by him, I'm living from the very source of forgiveness. So we need to ask ourselves, if I'm in Christ, am I offended at these people? Or if I'm offended at these people, am I in Christ? If I'm in Christ, I have compassion, everlasting love that was talked about on a recent episode of this podcast. Everlasting love. I'm supposed to be so compassionate that I literally embody the very one who died for the very sins against me. And if that's the case, and the life of Christ is in me, and I'm living from his life, where do I have to go to find these old hurts and pains and offenses? Our old man. I have to go back into Eric who is a dead man, because it is no longer Eric who lives, but Christ who lives through me. I'm a new creation in Christ. I've been born again, adopted into a family of God where I walk in union with Christ. 
as he was in this earth, so am I. So inner healing, as is often taught, is about stepping into your old man who is hurt and offended by other people's actions and then trying to resolve these hurts. Put some band-aids on them. Hope to see Jesus in this or have some sort of spiritualized psychology encounter. And yet in reality, most people that encounter this, they will have an emotional experience, but not necessarily a genuine transformation. They'll have an emotional experience which leaves a lasting impact, but it doesn't actually bring genuine freedom. Unless, of course, they finally get around to forgiving someone that they failed to forgive. Nevertheless, here's the problem. If I step into my old nature and walk from a place of offense and unforgiveness, and I finally decide to forgive one or two people, you know, here and there, cool. That will be, that's useful to a degree. But you know what's far more useful? And do you know what true inner healing is about? It's about stepping into your identity in Jesus Christ where no offense exists. No offense exists there. And there is love and compassion for everyone. It's not just an act you do. It's a way of life. This is why Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way in which we live. We live the way of forgiveness and of not being offended. And when we live in that as our very paradigm and lens through which we see, not that I have to go back and navel gaze and try to find old hurts, but rather I live from a lens of constant forgiveness and a place of no offense. I now begin to live from a lens of freedom in Christ. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, Peter came up to Jesus saying, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? But Jesus said, I don't say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Now I want to share with you something that I've done no research on, so don't take this as gospel truth. But there is at least one gentleman out there who I know. He's, uh, I don't know him personally, I just know of his teaching. And he's a gentleman that believes that the ministry of Christ was only 70 weeks, not three and a half years. I don't remember exactly how he comes to this. He calculates, you know, different feasts and festivals and all that. But he believes it was a 70-week ministry versus three and a half years, which I think has been the most traditionally accepted. And I'm not here to get into a debate on either of those because that's not relevant to this discussion. But it brings up an interesting thought. Imagine Jesus' ministry was, in fact, 70 weeks. Here in this verse, Jesus is saying to Peter, I don't tell you to forgive your brother seven times. That's only one week. But rather 70 times seven. If in fact Jesus was saying or if in fact his ministry was 70 weeks, and even if it wasn't, but this would not just be saying, forgive your brother a bunch. It would be saying every day that you are walking with God needs to be a day that you are walking from a place of forgiveness. We don't let go of our forgiveness unless we're letting go of our walk with God. We don't let go of forgiveness 
until we get to the other side. Every day of our life is a day that we need to be full of forgiveness. Now, I will just briefly, at a sidebar, that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to stay in relationship with the people. If there's certain offenses, certain potential threats towards your family, we've had situations like that, situations where we've had to cut relationships before, but we still walk in a place of forgiveness. We hold nothing in our hearts towards these people because we walk in forgiveness. But sometimes there might be times where you do need to separate yourself. And I'm just mentioning that in case somebody doesn't realize that forgiveness is not always about exposing yourself to an abuser constantly. Sometimes forgiveness is about letting go internally of the harm they've done. Having that lens of, I will not be offended and I will walk in forgiveness, but it doesn't mean you have to constantly expose yourself to harm. So be encouraged with that. Think about Stephen, the first martyr. While Saul, you know, soon to be the Apostle Paul, sat there and watched him being martyred. And Jesus being crucified. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they do. Don't hold these things against them. This is their attitude. They didn't have a lens of offense. They didn't even have the old Elijah, I'm going to call down some fire from heaven and take care of you people. Not that. This was a level of forgiveness and offense that even in the midst of their murder, they still walked with a lens of forgiveness and not being offended. So my experience with a lot of the modern day teaching on inner healing is it's actually designed to deceptively trap you in the old man in your old nature. It's often, and this may not be the case all, always across the board, but everyone I've experienced so far, this is the case for the most part. It's a legalism designed to have you looking outside of Christ to resolve your problems with the implied promise of you being transformed into the image of Christ. I'm going to say that again. Modern day teaching on inner healing is designed to deceptively trap you in the old man, your old nature, a dead person. It's a legalism designed to have you looking outside of Christ and inside your old man to resolve your problems with the implied promise of transformation into the image of Christ. Yet your old man does not contain what it takes to transform into the image of Christ. Your new man does, your new creation. Look, when Jesus commanded us to raise, the, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out demon, that raising the dead wasn't talking about your old man. You have died with Christ and been raised from the dead with him. You quit trying to resurrect your old man because he's dead. Quit playing with dead things. There's actually a very similar kind of implied promise in the world of religion. I want to talk about that really quick. So a lot of what religion does is it focuses on behavioral transformation, behavioral modification. It's the implied promise that once your behavior looks a certain way, then you will be more godly. Wrong. Once you are more full of God, full of the knowledge of God, then 
your behavior transforms. It cannot start with behavior and come to knowledge because your behavior is rooted in your knowledge. This is something that some inner healing ministries have picked up on well. They've picked up on, hey, okay, you have a behavioral issue. We know that behavior is rooted somewhere in your brain because at some point your paradigms, lenses that you see through are causing whatever particular behavior. But then the problem is the way that it goes about it is not to build you in your identity in Christ. It's rather to try to fix up the old man and you end up in a nonstop thing of constantly going through all these hurts, all these pains. And I'm going to tell you, it becomes a lifelong cycle of being broken down, potentially a lifelong cycle. There are many people who go through a whole inner healing experience. That was me. I did that for a couple of years, came back again later, came back again later, finally figured out it wasn't actually working. It was just giving me a lot of emotional experiences, but wasn't helping empower me with my identity in Christ. And that's because your old man being fixed up doesn't turn you into the image of Christ. It's a new life, a new creation. What makes you think fixing the old creation is going to empower you to walk in a new creation? You have to learn how the new creation works. You have to learn what it looks like to be a son or daughter of God. And Jesus Christ walking through the Gospels is the greatest revelation of what it looks like to be a son or daughter of God. Because he filled that out perfectly. He fulfilled that perfectly when he walked this earth. Our transformation does not come from trying to fix the dead guy. It comes from figuring out how to live from the new guy. And I'll tell you, a great place to start is Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, what a wonderful place to start. Learn who you are. Become as full as God with compassion, mercy, kindness, grace, love, forgiveness, gentleness, peace, joy, long-suffering, all of these wonder, self-control, all of these wonderful fruits. And you will never need to spend another day in your life with you pursuing inner healing for the things that people have done to you. Nor will you find yourself trapped in a false identity that is a response to the way they treated you. Instead, as you walk forward with the Lord and begin to unleash the fruit of the Spirit through you, what you will find is if there are any hiccups along the way, if there are any old paradigms, any lens changes that you might need, the Lord will bring them to you as you walk with Him and as these fruits of the Spirit manifest through you. The focus is not he on healing the dead guy, the focus is on living out and walking out the new guy. That is what we must learn to do to truly walk from a place of being healed. Inner healing has become an extremely common thing throughout the Protestant world. It's all over the place. I've seen it so much. So many churches, so many uh, you know, parachurch ministries, inner healing, inner healing, inner healing. It's funny how much of that exists in the church and how little of that exists in the Gospels. You would think it would be all over the Gospels as much as it, it's become popular in the church. It's not there. 
Not, not in the way the church does it. Not at all. Proverbs 19, verse 11 said, says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is, his, to, it is to his glory to overlook an offense. We need to be the kind of people that overlook offenses. We overlook the things that people do to us that would bring us harm. We need to be the kind of people that genuinely live as new creations in Christ. And when we learn to walk out our new identity in Christ, when we learn that we are treasure, we are not trash, we are not old beat up things with a bunch of bruises and sores and traumas and pains and hurts, we are not a woe is me for all the harm that's been done to me. Get out of that pity party. Get out of it. That's actually kind of a form of pride too because you're more focused on you than you are on who God is in you and through you and for you. We have to learn to walk as people who are not offended. And when we learn to walk from a place of infinite forgiveness and infinite no offense, then we begin to genuinely learn to walk as Christ walked in this earth. We begin to learn to walk with an everlasting love. And this begins to empower us to not try to fix up the old man because the old man is dead. But rather now we can begin to focus and say, Lord, if the old man is dead, how do I walk out the new man? I do want to point out something that's probably obvious to many people. Sometimes you've still got old habits, old ways of thinking, old paradigms that happens the new creation in Christ immediately comes into your spirit. You're born again, the fullness of Christ right there. You're not going to get to you know more Jesus tomorrow than you had today, but you might learn more about how to let more of that Jesus live through you. That occurs at the level of the mind, of the soul, where you learn how to let Christ out. This is why we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind not by the fixing up of our old man, but rather by the renewing of our mind. We meditate on the scripture day and night. We meditate. Let the Holy Spirit guide you in the, in the scriptures and meditate on it. Meditate on it until your lens changes and you begin to realize that spiritually you're starting to see clearer. Meditate on the scripture with the Holy Spirit. Let him change you. It is through the knowledge of God, not through listening to a bunch of sermons, not even listening to a bunch of podcasts. Yes, they can be helpful, but I'm going to tell you, if you've got people that are just giving you a bunch of religion and things that tickle the ears, but they're not pointing you to Christ, watch out. I have been deceived by so many of those things in my younger years. I'm going to do another series soon on Christ Reveals the Father and how Christ is our primary lens through which we must view discernment. Did Christ teach it? Yes or no? If he didn't, we've got to come with caution as we're looking at these things. That's not to say that there's never an opportunity that Christ might bring forth some revelation here or there, which isn't necessarily something contained in the scripture. But it is to say that the scripture has to be our foundation and if something is coming forth that doesn't line up with the Word of God and, and the Scripture, we've got to watch out. 
I would also like to encourage all the people out there who are in inner healing ministries, why not look at physical healing? Why not look at what Jesus and his followers do? You know, if you, if you read through the Gospels, you'll notice Jesus brought a lot of physical healing to people. And he didn't do it by going into past hurts and pains and traumas. You don't find that. Good, good luck. There is that one scripture where he says, your sins are forgiven you. And then he heals the guy. And I've seen people build entire doctrines out of that. Out of the 89 passages in the Gospels and the New Testament on healing, that's the one time we see that. And people build entire ministries on that. But that's not the primary way that healing flows and functions. And if we even look back to 2020 where people were over here dying left and right of fear and disease, if the, if the church had been more equipped with physical healing, we could have reached the world a lot better. But instead, we're just offering the world healing of the heart after their loved one died instead of preventing the loved ones from dying through the power of God. So we have to ask ourselves, are we really being empowered as the church with what we're calling inner healing? Or are we being deceived into exchanging the genuine power of God for spiritualized psychology? One more thing I would like to mention that genuine transformation in Christ doesn't occur by beholding the old man and trying to fix it up. It rather occurs by beholding Christ and becoming like him. We look at Christ as though we are looking in a mirror and we become more and more transformed day by day. We behold him, we become him. Watch out for something that takes your focus off of him with an implied promise that you will become more like him. Don't take your eyes off of him to see yourself. As you behold him, he can talk to you about yourself if needed. But don't take your eyes off of Christ to look at your old man. Don't fall for that. Behold Christ, become Christ.